All right, welcome back for another episode of the Barbell Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Scott, and with me here today is a friend, client, and professional bodybuilder, Nate Spear. So Nate has won three overall New England titles and is now an IFBB Pro Bodybuilder. He's also a bodybuilding prep coach, and he has two sponsorships with HD Muscle and DB Gear. Uh, so Nate, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, and there's a lot I wanted to talk about today as far as kind of the what I would call the dark side of bodybuilding and the things people don't want to hear or the things that newbies don't necessarily understand. And it takes a lot to become a bodybuilder, especially at your level and a lot of dedication. And I think a lot of people have this um, false expectation of what that takes and what it is and what it means and how you have to live your lifestyle and, and everything else and how you really get into it. So Nate, thanks for coming on. And um, so, you know, just for starters, what got you into bodybuilding and, and what kind of, um, how did you get started and how did you really bring it to the next level of becoming a pro? Yeah, man. Uh, first, uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure getting to know you the last couple of years and uh, always coming out and see you guys. You always take good care of me. So it's uh, cool to be doing this with you too. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much. So a lot of people don't really know or some do. I've talked about it before, but actually pretty interesting for me. I actually got started a little bit late in bodybuilding <clears throat> at about the age of 26. Um, so a lot of people that I compete with, you know, they start when they're like 18, maybe even like 16, you know, at least working out. Um, so a lot of guys got a little bit started younger. <clears throat> so for me, I started a little bit later because actually, so when I was younger, I was actually uh, battling with drug addiction. So from about the ages to uh, roughly, you know, 16, 17 to about when I started bodybuilding, um, I started bodybuilding because I actually got sober. So I had a drug addiction history um, all the way from, you know, I ended up using heroin uh, IV actually uh, for a, a good probably, I'd say six, seven years. Um, so there's a lot of battles there. Um, I think that's what it's actually made me into the bodybuilder I am today. You know, some of that kind of stuff. We can touch a little bit on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty much I was, you know, battling drug addiction. It went from, you know, <clears throat> you know, marijuana to you know, cocaine to ecstasy. And then all of a sudden, like my drug of choice ended up being heroin, which a lot of people we know, you know, battle with that kind of stuff. Uh, currently, it's a big epidemic, obviously. Um, so for me, I uh, went into the third rehab, actually. <laughs> so a lot of people know it takes a lot of tries, you know what I mean, to sort of get this thing and, you know, uh, you know, face your addiction and sort of get on the other side of things. Um, so they actually brought us to a YMCA and uh, we started working out and I just tell immediately, I mean, I lifted weights a little bit, but nothing serious, but I always knew I was like a stronger kid. I felt like I always had the genetics to put on muscle. I had like, even when I was like skinny, I had like the cap delts, nice, like little abs, whatever. <laughs> so I could tell like there was something there. Um, so we started lifting weights and I just progressed much <laughs> faster than the other guys. And I just really fell in love with it the way it made me feel. I never really like said, I want to be a bodybuilder, you know, but I lifted weights and I was like, oh man, this makes me feel amazing. Um, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's sort of training another addiction for another one, to be honest. But, um, like now I'm not like, you know, harming other people, putting my life at, at risk, um, and like doing stuff where obviously it's going to cause a lot of reckless and hurt to my family and friends, et cetera. So. That's crazy. I did not know you were a heroin addict, nor do you look like one anymore. Uh, but that brings up a whole, <laughs> a whole big piece we can get into here where, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people that are addicts that get into this too. And for some people, it can be a really good thing. But I think there's some people too that get into it, maybe not for the, the right reasons and end up down a whole nother path of other issues that I want to get into with you. Um, so, uh, that's crazy. Cause I've been working with Nate for, I think about a year now, almost we're coming up on a year Yeah, and, uh, it's been really cool to work with Nate because, um, he's one of the few people too, who, you know, we get a lot of people, especially pro athletes and between powerlifting and bodybuilding and even other sports that are really just looking for a, uh, passive modality of, they want to get in and just get the soft tissue work and feel better because they're overworking themselves, which in a lot of cases, a lot of you guys are. However, like Nate came in and was like, no, I, I want I want the answers and in, in the fix to some issues he was having with posing and everything else. And, and Nate was very much on board and one of the few that 
He's like, all right, like you give me homework, I'm going to do it. Um, and he has, and it's, it's been cool to see you do that and even promote some of the stuff we've taught you uh, to other people and, and kind of spread the love. So uh, there's just a whole different piece, I think, to bodybuilding that really takes to get to that ne- next level. And, and some of the shit I gave Nate was not easy either. Like <laughs> some of the posing things we worked on and just learning to fire different muscles, it takes time, it takes patience. There's a lot of aggravation that goes into it and, and really knowing exactly where your body is to create it to be symmetrical and everything. So, um, yeah. And you so got the, the videos to prove it, right? We got the videos to me. prove it too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what is it that you love about, about bodybuilding now? Like what makes you just go in every day and want to grind like that? Cause I think a lot of people think they want to do that. And a lot of people think they want to be a bodybuilder. But really, at the end of the day, there's just so much commitment to it from a physical aspect of just getting to the gym and spending at least two hours there every day to dieting to, you know, I can't go out with my friends on a Friday or Saturday night and have a bunch of drinks. Uh, so what is it for you that makes bodybuilding just something you you just have been so passionate and successful with? Yeah, I think uh, like you touched on a little bit. So I think bodybuilding, there's definitely there's good and bad. So I think you sort of have to be, have a little bit of a screw loose, you know, to be fully committed to bodybuilding like I am, because it is such a regimented lifestyle, like at my level, right? Like you said, there's levels to this. So there's guys that are starting out that are not quite where I am. Um, But for me, it's like literally every day of the year is like groundhog day, right? So you sort of got to have some kind of love for the ritual. Um, And I think that's where like the drug addiction piece uh, it, it transfers over meaning like <clears throat> I need something, you know, to keep me always uh, like a goal on site, you know? So with bodybuilding, there's always, you're always trying to put on muscle or you're trying to get lean, you know, there's always some, or trying to get stronger or, you know, I'm trying to improve a lift. So there's always, you know, every day I'm waking up with some kind of goal in mind, whether it's a really small one, you know, as far as like hitting all my, on my meals for the day and that kind of stuff. But I think it takes a certain type of person where you really got to sort of love that kind of uh, lifestyle. And also, first and foremost, I think a lot of people, especially you see younger generation now, you have to fall in love with the training first, you know, because that's like the forefront. Um, And if you're not really, because a lot of people you'll see now with like the social media and stuff, people like when I first started, it wasn't like, oh, I get into, I want to be a bodybuilder and then I'm going to start the training and the diet and stuff. It was like, you just sort of trained and like someone might come up to you and say, hey, like you think you have pretty good genetics, like you ever think about competing, you know, that's how it sort of how it happened to me. And I was just like, Oh, and then it started, it starts to get your brain turning a little bit. I wasn't like going into the gym. Like I didn't want to be a bodybuilder before I got my gym pass. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think sometimes a lot of people see the highlight reels, right on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so then mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, well, I'm going to go buy my tripod and the, the gym pass. And I'm going to go start doing this like everyone else you know, and thinking it's sort of like an easy or quick, like popularity thing, I guess, because a lot of people I think see the influencers too, you know, which gets a little bit gray with like bodybuilding and influencer type thing, you know. Um, And then they also see, they see like a lot of people see now, like for me, I'm a full-time coach, which is obviously, uh, it it coincides to me living a bodybuilder lifestyle. So it is a pretty sweet setup. I'm not going to lie. So sometimes people want to do that right away. Whereas for me, I competed, you know, about eight or nine years at the highest level, um, amateur wise, then turned pro and then started coaching. You know what I mean? So I, I, I wanted to get as much knowledge and education and trial and error experience, you know, before I started uh, doing that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of, I guess, you know, the biggest thing I think is, you know, if the stage isn't there, like, do I still want to be doing it? And for me, yes. Like, Cause I have this infatuation like it's not for everyone, but I do have this infatuation with like muscle and like wanting to be big and jacked. And it's not even for, for me, it's not really an external reason or like, Oh, I want to get chicks or, Oh, I want to be cool. It's for me. I just really have an appreciation, I guess, towards the look and just the, honestly, I think it's like a beauty to it. You know what I mean? Like the aesthetic appeal. Um, and I just really like the look. Cause like for me, honestly, I've gotten to a point where I like pretty much stay covered up for the most part. I think that was a fr- I, the other day I walked in with a tank top and I felt weird, <laughs> but I think that was the first time I'd walked in there with a tank top, you know, but it's usually I'm trying to like wear like as big as clothes as I can, but I still can't hide it, you know, but I, for me, it's like almost like the attention sometimes gives me a little anxiety because <laughs> it's like you walk into a grocery store and everyone's like, you know, sort of, you can feel like the looks a little bit. 
not that it's a bad thing because obviously you know you've gotten to a level where now it's you, you know what i mean like that's the level i wanted to be at right <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people don't understand too. It's funny because when you first start out, you're like, oh man, I want everyone to notice my gains. And then you finally get to a point where it's like, uh, you don't really, you try to hide a little bit, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, for me, it was just like, I think it has to be like within yourself and not external reasons or else it's going to be like fleeting, you know? So I think a lot of people, like I said, they're going to come and go because uh, at the end of the day, it's like, if Instagram wasn't there, would you still be doing it? I guess, is it a question that I ask some people? Yeah, I I think that's a huge one nowadays of as more and more people doing it and I think it's just something that not everyone is doing and everyone wants to highlight their, you know, how hard working they are and yeah. maybe make a, a a shot at making an influencer career and you know, yeah, I see so many people now that like just started going to the gym three weeks ago and then it's like they invite me to their fitness page. It's like yeah. what are you sharing with the world? I don't want your Herbalife shakes or whatever you're trying to do. And yeah, there's just so much behind that. But it's interesting you say like you almost don't want to get recognized now. Like why Why do you think that is? Because I think is you hit the nail on the head with a lot of people want to come in to this thinking like I want to be recognized for my gains and I want to be the biggest guy in the room and this and that. But then all of a sudden it sounds like you're almost on the flip side of that now of like, I want to be the biggest guy, but at the same time, like, I don't want to be noticed for it. Well, I guess you get to a certain point where I think it doesn't, it never frustrates me and I always appreciate it. But at some point you get a lot of, Hey, how much do you bench? Oh, um, you know, like you must work out seven days a week for four hours a day. Uh, like sort of like the repetitive, um, sort of comments that it, like I said, it doesn't bother me, but if I can, I, I think in my head, I'm like, if I can minimize this, you know, cause no matter what, I feel like I'm always going to get some kind of, they're always positive, you know? So I always appreciate it, but mm-hmm. it goes from like, okay, can I minimize this from like 10 people? Cause like if I go into a grocery store with a tank top, it's going to be like max like times 10, you get what I'm saying? Like the comments or maybe people asking me this and that. So sometimes it just, uh, <laughs> like, I know I'm going to get it regardless, but can I sort of minimize that? I guess. Cause sometimes it does get a little overwhelming. Like I said, it, it's never, I'm always comes from a place of gratitude because it's like, wow, like I made it like this far. And obviously, um, like I'm pretty lucky as far as I think a lot of people, because like, let's be realistic, bodybuilding is a big genetic game. So I have to have some decent genetics to get to where I'm at. You know, everyone's not going to look like me, even if they follow exactly myself to what I do to a T. Um, not to say it's obviously like a lot of hard work and you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. But yeah, I guess just the general public, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. I think too, like some of the questions that you based upon, I think too, sometimes bodybuilding does create some kind of maybe not for everyone, but I definitely have noticed more anxiety the longer I've been doing it because part of it too is as a bodybuilder, you sort of look like a monk. So for me, now that I'm coaching and bodybuilding, I'm, I'm working at home, right? And I'm going to the gym and the grocery store and that's pretty much it. I don't really have a whole lot of friends, you know? So I think this also can be related to current times, but the less human interaction you have, I think uh, you're at a place where there can be some kind of social anxiety when you go out into these places, you know, because you're not really accustomed to like human interaction, if that makes sense. Um, Because we're sort of as, as as a bodybuilder at my level, you're sort of like hiding away a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, so like, I don't go to parties. I don't do, you know, I don't, unless it's like a family event that I like someone's getting married or something, you know, but I very off, very, um, it's not very regularly. I, I get out and like interact with like a big group of people. So that can create a little anxiety, I think on itself, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I was actually going to bring up anxiety from a different standpoint, but th- that does make sense too. And I think a lot of guys at your level are probably in that situation where it's just like, it's this, this piece of just day to day, like, like you said, it's groundhog day where there's no real change in your day from it's get up, go to the gym, you know, run some errands, whatever. Then you go home and you like a lot of people now work from home too. So that makes it even harder. Yeah. But I was thinking of anxiety with bodybuilding of um, I've seen this before in a lot of people and especially 
younger people, maybe in their late teens, early to mid twenties or whatever that are getting into this, um, or even just getting into like working out and being more fit that we can define that as bodybuilding for a minute here, but just start looking at Instagram and they start following, you know, bodybuilding.com and some of these fitness models and everything. And pretty soon all you're looking at every day is these models and everything that are, you know, perfectly sculpted. And uh, most of them are doing this full time for a living where most of us, most of us don't have that luxury. So I've seen how social media can just like ruin someone's expectation of who they are, what they should be, what their sense of reality is. And they don't actually have a true understanding of who that person or who those people are they're following and what they're doing. Right. So it's like, yeah. especially I think for the females too, where um, a lot of these fitness influencers in things and people don't want to hear it, but like a lot of them are on some type of performance enhancing drug. Would you, oh, yeah. would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And also too, sometimes there's, uh, there's a, a lot of stuff we can touch on there, but um, I think one too is sometimes these people are only going to show, like I said, the highlight reel and they might use pictures from, you know, nine months ago that you don't realize that actually, you know, they don't look like that current day. You know what I'm saying? They might not say it's like a throwback or whatever, but they want to live up to this sort of standard that they're presenting to the world. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to show you like, well, I actually look, I'm actually 20 cent, 20% body fat right now. You know what I mean? Like they might not tell you like the whole story and especially like at the higher level influencer, they're just going to show like these people literally shoot when they're in the best shape of their life content every day and use that content to keep it on the side. You know what I mean? And they're safe. And then, you know, present that as like every day, you know what I mean? Um, and then also too, it's, it's hard because even a lot of competitive bodybuilders, as you go through this, especially the younger ones is they compare, 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 you know, they see other people or they might be, it's not even like comparing to like the influencer with 5 million followers. They're comparing to the local person that's getting ready for the same show. And that person might, it's hard because like I said, it's a lot of genetics. So someone could be working at it for five, six years. Then you could have this person that they see at the gym, they look really good. And they all of a sudden in a year or two, they blow right past them. And that can be <laughs> a little disheartening, right? Cause you're there doing everything, checking all the boxes, you know, for much more longer time. And then all of a sudden it's happened to me too, in competitive bodybuilding, you'll see some guy freak, you know, come out of nowhere and you're like, what? I've been doing this for like, you know, eight or nine years and they, they're better than you because genetics, <laughs> you know, so that can be really hard too. I think the biggest thing it's sort of like lame, but it's like, you can only really, you know, be uh, competitive with yourself. Right. So it's you versus you, they say, right. I mean, it is sort of lame, but it is true. The better you can get at that, the better, the more at peace you're going to be because I've gotten, definitely gotten better at it as far as, you know, sort of like appreciating someone's physique, but then not looking too much into it as far as comparing myself. Cause I've definitely been there too, where, oh man, this guy's got better quads than me or, you know, better back than me or whatever, better shape, et cetera. And especially too, like you were saying, I think females, like I coach females too. And it's very hard sometimes for them to go, from being looking amazing at, let's say, you know, 9% body fat or whatever, the female, which is great, you know, looking amazing. And then all of a sudden they, they finish the show and now they can eat whatever they want. They have no target in sight. So there's definitely a piece of, um, it can be almost like de depression, you know, um, they call it like post-show blues. So you have this big event, you're getting ready for it every day. That's what you're focusing on. Like, I can't wait for the show. You know, I'm looking amazing. It's almost like addicting. It's a, a little bit of adrenaline, you know, because you're about to get on stage and then you get on stage and then it's like all of a sudden everything is over. And it's like there's not that excitement, the the chase type th feeling, you know, and now your body starts to get back to normal, which is good. But in your eyes, you're like, oh, man, I'm fat. I'm soft, even though to the normal person, they look amazing. Right. <laughs> so there's yeah. definitely that piece, too. Yeah, and that's almost when like the eating disorders start to come out too is after yeah. the show of I had a friend who did I think she did bikini and uh one of her like teammates or training partners she had a major eating disorder where for like her whole 16 week prep anytime she had any type of craving it was always like a candy bar some like non-perishable food item she'd mm -hmm. go out to the store buy it and throw it in her trunk 
<laughs> and I guess by the end of this show, she had like a trunk full of food and would eat all this stuff within two weeks and completely uh, like blow up. And it's yeah. like, if, th- if that's not an eating disorder, I don't know <laughs> what else could be. So yeah, there's well, a I lot. Do, I, I do want to chime in too. And I'd say, so a lot of people, like you said in the beginning is some of these people that bodybuilding draws, you know, have some kind of maybe uh, defect or weakness, right? So they might get into bodybuilding to fill that void. Well, the problem is if you have a mental illness or eating disorder prior and you're not addressing that and now you have bodybuilding in your life, it's almost going to take, you know, put it under a microscope, you know, at some point because bodybuilding is so up and down, you know. So there's a lot of people where, you know, they have stuff that they haven't addressed before, before getting to bodybuilding. And then, you know, the bodybuilding sort of exposes that even more so, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, and this is something to, I can pose as a question to you too, but, uh, you know, for someone like you, where you were addicted to IV heroin, like that's pretty bad. And, uh, most people that are on that path don't live a very long life where it sounds like you'll probably, uh, you've turned it around quite a bit and could end up in a much healthier place. But are there things about your quote, you know, addictive personality that, you're dealing with or have dealt with, or you feel like you still need to deal with. Do you think that's helped you in bodybuilding? Um, but maybe hurt you in your personal life? Like what are your thoughts there? Um, so I think, I think that's a little bit like twofold. So one, I think for me, when I got into bodybuilding, I felt like I addressed everything as far as like in my addiction, my past and sort of like what makes me tick. Um, so I did go through AA and I was a very big part of that for probably about four or five years. Um, and I went through the big book, the 12 steps, and that really helped me a lot as far as like, you know, not being secure with myself, not loving myself, all those kind of things which sort of makes you use, you know, like for me, I think my, my root of my issue was I just never felt comfortable in my skin. So that's sort of what made me start using drugs. And then obviously just escalated to, you know, <laughs> where it was. Um, so for me, when I, you know, got sober, I went through and fixed all that stuff. And before I actually started like bodybuilding enhanced, uh, using anabolics, I'd been clean and sober for uh, probably two years. So I felt like I had a good foundation, a good, you know, everything was in life was getting back in order, et cetera. I felt like I had addressed, you know, stuff that made me use. Um, and I, I changed sort of myself, you know, I didn't just say, I'm just going to put the stuff down and not fix anything. Um, so, cause I think it's very hard to sustain sobriety that way. They sort of call it white knuckling or, you know, dry sober, you know, so you're not really fixing any of your issues. You're sort of putting down the stuff, but still behaving with addict behaviors. Right. So I think I addressed all that stuff, but then <clears throat> obviously we'll talk about the elephant in the room, you know, using PEDs is, you know, we're talking about health, life, et cetera. You know, I'm, I'd be, you know, ignorant to not say that I know I'm putting my you know, my longevity of health and life at risk by using PEDs, um, by being a certain body weight. Um, so, you know, bo- bodybuilding is not a healthy sport. <laughs> so, you know, like I think sometimes people see, oh, they look amazing. They must be healthy. But just because someone looks healthy on the outside doesn't mean on the inside they're healthy at all. So, um, you know, when I, I, I understood the risks, you know, when I started using PEDs and I understood that could take a little bit of life off me. Um, so, uh, obviously there's part of you, if someone, uh, you know, looking from the outside would say, well, you know, you're not necessarily, you know, <laughs> a responsible human being then. Right. Um, but bodybuilding has honestly given me like an amazing life that I could never ask for. I don't think it would be possible without bodybuilding. Um, so, you know, for me sitting in this current day, I really can't look back and say, you know, I- I'm, I'm disappointed about anything. Obviously, if you ask me maybe 20 years and maybe some of my health is at risk, which could be a possibility, then I might, you know, I could change my mind for sure. Um, And obviously, you know, what I said, too, is being a heavier guy, you know, that obviously puts your health at risk, too. So a lot of people don't realize, you know, the heaviest I've been, you saw me like a month or two ago, I was like 285, you know, fasted in the morning. So that's that's pretty big for 510, a lot of muscle mass. So when you carry that much muscle mass, obviously, your organs are working harder, your heart can grow a little bit. Um, like most athletes. Um, and then obviously you throw PDs in the mix, you know, that's going to obviously put you at high risk for me um, to, to just to address anyone listening is I do usually get blood work done two to three times a year. 
So usually before a show, I get ready or after a show or in the interim of the mix. Um, so I, I check out all my organ health and that kind of stuff. I did go down to Florida too and get a CT calcium scan. So that shows you any blockage uh, in the heart. So I, and that was a zero. So that means there's no blockage. So for me, I do try to be proactive as far as health goes. And I, I do try to be, so I, I have a great coach that sort of, I feel like has my health in mind. So yes, there is health risks. <clears throat> so I'm not, you know, oblivious to that, but there's a certain way, I think a responsible way you can do things, you know, cause there's like anything, there's levels to it. So you got some people that are just very extreme they might not ever come off the stuff. They don't really get their blood markers checked. Um, they don't run like uh, alternative health medicine to sort of keep some of that um, lipid panel in check. Uh, so I, I think I'm doing the best I can. Obviously, like I said, <laughs> bodybuilding is not the healthiest thing to do, um, but it's something that I just love and gives me a lot of joy. Um, and I, I feel really happy where my life is at right now. So <laughs> I want to back up for a second and then yeah. go through a lot of what you just said. So one of the big things talking about like the addiction and, and dealing with those things first, and you said you didn't feel comfortable in your own skin or, you know, I think a lot of people don't feel good enough and have the sense of inferiority. Um, and with bodybuilding, it's almost like the, the same thing. So you just, do you still think there's a part of you there that maybe this is the most healthy way for you to manage it, but there's still what got you into it was like, there's still something that um, you didn't feel good enough about yourself and you just kind of continued to feed that with bodybuilding. Yeah, for sure. I think there's always going to be a small piece of that um, in me. Um, and it's definitely, I, I do notice, you know, when from my, the point I started bodybuilding to now, uh, bodybuilding has definitely grown me into a much more confident person. Cause I won't lie. Like when I do walk into a room and I know I'm like, a big jack dude, it does give me some confidence, you know, so if that's maybe some insecurity there or some kind of void I'm feeling, it may be, um, but I feel like I'm in a good place where it's not necessarily going to put me at much damage. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I'll, I'll always struggle with that a little bit, uh, but I definitely feel better looking like this than when I didn't, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. And so the next part I wanted to talk about is the the anabolic substances and everything. So, um, yes, Nate is on anabolic steroids, as he said, you know, PEDs. Uh, and a lot of people have this misconception about them and, and how bad they are and they make you a horrible human. And, you know, Nate is probably the <laughs> softest hearted guy we have that comes through the gym and the clinic. And I give him hell all the time. And, uh, you know, I call him small or fat or skinny or whatever, depending on what he's trying to do. I usually try to go the opposite. And uh, he takes it with a good, hard smile. But um, in that same breath, how – I think what you said too about like you go get your blood work and everything else. Do you work with a doctor that does this? Because I think for a lot of people out there – especially men is people don't want to go to the doctor. They don't want to talk about this stuff. They don't want to be open and clear about what they're doing or what they're running. And cause I have guys coming to my clinic sometimes. And I'm like, all right, this dude's pretty jacked. He's pretty lean. He's got nipples like diamond cutters. And it's just like, all right. I'm like, what do you, what are you running for gear? And they're like, what? I'm like, just tell me what you're running for gear. Like it's going to affect your treatment. Like, if you're running all this stuff and you have horrible soft tissue quality because of it, yeah. well, that's going to affect the prognosis of how long you're going to be here. And I think even more so in the, the side of medical, the medical world of blood labs and cardiovascular condition, and everything else, that's a whole lot more important. So I just want to know, like, what do you do? Like, do you, are you open with your doctor about this stuff? Are there risks of, you know, health insurance and things like that? Like, how do you, how do you navigate this world of this? Uh, so it's, this is just the way I sort of do it. So I'm not really sure some other guys might do it a different way, but for me, I just go through a private lab. Um, so I can buy blood work done just third party. So that way there's no, you know, it's not, I'm not going through a doctor actually. Um, I'm just sort of going through an online, uh, third party place. You know, I get my blood work done at quest diagnostics. I order, you know, the, the lab, a lot of, a lot of the help is from my coach. Honestly, he has a great you know background as far as that kind of stuff goes. And, you know, what to look for supplements to add to help, you know, sort of regulate some things. Um, and then, you know, the, the, uh, CT scan I did was just sort of, 
you know, through some friends in the bodybuilding world that um, they took uh, it, it's that it was like a pretty good deal because it was like for research purposes. So it wasn't like breaking the bank, you know. So I think, um, you know, obviously, you know, someone might have a little bit better insurance than me or a doctor that they might. I never really just got good set up with like a good physician or someone that I was able to be open with. I just sort of, you know, did it on my own and used um, other people uh, that have been in the industry longer than me you know, to sort of give me their, their opinion and that kind of stuff. And like I said, my coach has been great as far as I feel really comfortable with like what he knows, um, and, you know, guiding me in the right direction. Um, but it's definitely, yeah, I mean, for me, it's definitely makes me feel a little like at risk to be sort of open with someone. Cause I get a lot of people that ask me to, you know, that I coach that, Hey, like, you know, should I tell my doctor this and that? And I, I pretty much tell them to be open with them. Um, and then if they, you know, are, are not willing to sort of treat you or work with you, then, you know, maybe that's not the best doctor for you. Um, and there's also too, a lot of people, <laughs> this is also another subject, so it could, we could go off on tangent, but there's a lot of HRT clinics too, that'll sort of are more, I guess, friendly uh, to opposed to, to using like testosterone and, and anabolics and that kind of stuff where they're not really going to, they know you're going to do it, you know, so we're going to sort of help you out the best way we can and guide you in the right, right direction. And those seem to be pretty popular at the moment and a little bit easier as far as, you know, navigating, whereas maybe 10 years ago, it was a little bit more, I think the world's getting progressively uh, more progressive as far as, you know, like the cannabis is, you know, legal in Massachusetts. Now the, you know, HRT clinics are a little bit more ready, readily available. Whereas, you know, five or 10 years ago, that was sort of not, <laughs> not a thing. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and there's definitely a thing there too about people using testosterone TRT, and it's like there's so many things that testosterone does, and we live in a world now where like there's so many environmental toxins, right? Between you know, one thing is like microwaving your shit in plastic. So guys, like stop microwaving your shit in plastic. Use glass. Um, from the like, drinking tap water, like every female is on birth control nearly. And it's all being pissed out into our water supply. And there's an aspect of that that's in our water supply. And you're getting your daily dose of uh, birth control as a male. Um, just daily stress is higher than ever. And, and that's ruining us. So we're seeing more and more men get low in testosterone. And people are going to the doctors. And it's like, oh, let's put you in, you know, the symptoms can be anxiety, depression, uh, fatigue, tiredness, whatever, which is all signs of depression and anxiety, but docs are just throwing them on or, you know, primary cares are like, Oh, here's some, you know, Xanax or some Zoloft or what a Prozac, whatever. And it's like, um, you know, that's not usually the answer. A lot yeah. of people, I've had plenty of people that come to me that are open about what they're on and why. And it's like, yeah, I was like, I felt like shit. My doctor put me on this. Then I realized I had low testosterone and I threw those pills away and just, you know, got back to normal life. I lost weight. I got in better shape. I'm, you know, back working at mm. full capacity. It's like some of these drugs can be life changing and life saving because there's a lot of side effects to all these SSRI depression, mental health yeah. type drugs, which for some people can be really good. But for a lot of men out there, it's like, let's make sure we're checking all the components of your testosterone and your hormone panels before just being like, yeah, take an antidepressant because Maybe that's not the root issue. That's just band-aiding some of the symptoms of what's really underlying you. And um, for a lot of people out there, that that is the better and healthier answer. And if there is a level of therapeutic use to a lot more studies are coming out now about testosterone replacement or hormone replacement, being that it is very safe and it doesn't cause any issues, um, where I think a lot of people think, oh, you're going to have cardiac dysfunction, this and that when we get into this level of someone like you where, all right, now we're not in the therapeutic range and we're more yeah. in the, Super you know, te technically you're in the like abusive <laughs> yeah. level of things of you're out of the normal physiologic range for some of these, you know, anabolic substances probably. Uh, that's a little bit of a different story, but you know, for someone like you, it's like you want to be one of the best and do all you can Will, is there a line for you of like, this is too much or I don't want to, you know, up my dose on this or anything else? Well, I definitely think I'm getting to that point now because 
those that don't know, I'm 36. So bodybuilding world, you know, 40, 42 is probably, you know, my cap, you know, um, before my physique starts going a little bit backwards. So I think uh, another good thing was getting a later start in bodybuilding. So I had a little bit of a wiser mentality, I think, whereas if I did get started, maybe when I was 20 or 18, you know, the, the different, it could be a lot different as far as like the damage that I'm doing. Because sometimes when you're younger, you don't really, you know, more is better, right? <laughs> you don't really think about the consequences like, oh, this is not, that's never gonna happen to me. You know, that whole, you know, mantra. Um, so getting a later start, I think, you know, I was a little bit wiser. I'd been through some stuff. I have more appreciation towards life and sort of a realization like, hey, I want to live to 80 and enjoy my later years. Whereas I think some younger guys, you sort of see, I'll do whatever it takes to get to the Olympia stage or whatever sport they're at. Like, I don't, like, they almost don't care, like, if I lived past 50, you know. But obviously, you know, when those people get to 35, 40, you know, oh, okay, I do want to live, like, another 40 years, you know. Because I think sometimes that young mentality or the champion mentality, like, because I, I can't remember they did that. I'm sure you've heard of this, the study where they're like, hey, if you were an Olympian athlete, you know, and you were allowed to take X, Y, and Z to win, but it would shave 10 years off your life, would you take it? And I think like 90% of the people said, yes, they would. You know what I mean? So it's sort of that idea, right? Yeah. And, and there's another piece of that too, of a lot of those athletes, after they've retired from their sport, they've won their medal or whatever. They also go into this depression. It's like, I have nothing to live for now. Like, yes, I had this one moment of time of doing something you know, some high achievement. But after that, it's like, what do I have to live for now? And they yeah. sink in this, to this anxiety, depression, whatever it might be of just not having a purpose in life anymore. And it's like, what did I really do for this world there? Yeah. I ran the fastest you know, mile, but what does that matter? How does that change right. the world at all or anything like that? So there's definitely a lot there. So, so for you, there is a line. Cause like there's probably more, you could do like, yeah, you're a big dude. Yeah. It looks like you're on anabolic steroids, but there's also dudes that are way more monstrous than you. Like, you know, the Kai greens, the Jay Cutler's back in the day, whatever, like those guys might be on double, triple the doses of of that. So for you, for you, there is a line of like, okay, like this is healthy for where I'm trying to get where I am or healthy enough where there might be some sacrifice, but you know, what are you looking at in the long term, as far well, as any any health concerns? Like, what what is the potential for you, and what things are you maybe trying to avoid? Um, well, definitely another subject we could talk about. But I I feel like I'm a very realistic person, so there's a lot of people with like grandeur or delusion. You know, I was always the type of person where I'm like, I knew my genetics, and I knew even if I got X amount of big, like there's only so much I can do in my shape and structure, et cetera. You know, even if I was Kai Green side, I'm not size, I'm not going to look like Kai Green, <laughs> you know, like the attachments, the way everything's put together, et cetera, muscle bellies. So that plays a huge role in bodybuilding too. So I think sometimes that's another thing for bodybuilding is there's not just a size piece. There's how does the physique flow and look and are it's put together, you know? So for me, you know, I, I don't have like the widest structure and the smallest waist. I'm not bad, obviously, but there's, I, I don't think I'm ever going to win the Olympia, right? So that sort of keeps me at bay a little bit. <laughs> You know, um, and then also for what you were saying is, I think the biggest thing is bodybuilding is, you know, heart health and, you know, a lot of the, the most of the bodybuilders that pass away are usually from cardiac arrest, um, or some kind of heart blockage or, you know, that kind of stuff. So for me, the biggest, the biggest piece is, you know, blood pressure is a huge one, obviously. Um, and then obviously my LDL, HDL, triglycerides, overall cholesterol levels, those are my biggest components I'm trying to trying to keep an eye on um, just because the majority of bodybuilders I know passed away. Uh, it's usually from a heart attack. Um, so yeah, you can do some kidney damage. Um, yeah. Some liver damage. Usually liver is pretty resilient. Kidneys is usually, uh, I mean, if your blood pressure is in check, you know, it all sort of, I think a lot of stuff stems from blood pressure. So if you can keep your blood pressure in check, that's going to be a good base um, in my opinion. Um, but for, for the most part, uh, you know, most of the time it's the heart. And especially, like I said, the bigger you get, the more at risk you're putting yourself. So a lot of guys that have passed away in the past are usually, you know, about 300 pounds, you know, so that's sort of where I'm like, okay, I'm getting a little close to that range, you know? So obviously too, 
I, I I'm guilty of this. So I would love to say, you know, I'm, I do my cardio all the time, but cardio in the off season is huge. Uh, so, you know, that's obviously going to prove your cardiovascular health, your resting heart rate, um, how, you know, your heart performs. Right. So for me, it's definitely, I could get better at doing some cardio, but for like, if I was to recommend to someone, you know, doing cardio, um, little, even hit intervals, you know, something that's going to keep your heart, uh, athletic in some sense, um, is going to do you a, a, a lot of, um, service there in the future, I think. Absolutely. Um, I can't agree more with that. And so I think, uh, more of the veteran guys we see are doing cardio and people think they're over there doing their 30 minute workout for fat loss, but it's like, no, this guy's just trying to keep his heart ticking the right way. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely interesting. And and I think the other part of this whole thing too, is like people like, Oh, people are easy to look at and be like, Oh, he's a cheater. He's cheating. Like he doesn't want to put in the hard work. So what's your answer to that of people that think, you know, using anabolic steroids is just about cheating and, getting where you want faster yeah uh i mean it's definitely a touchy subject i mean I, in my opinion i wish there was some kind of regulation where all sports could use anabolics because it would just be that much more funner to watch in my opinion but obviously that's a whole nother topic and probably will never happen but um you know for for bodybuilding at least i mean i don't really feel like it's cheating because i feel like everyone's doing it so it sort of makes it like that regarding it's the same idea when people were like, oh, well, Lance Armstrong's a cheater. Well, I felt like you, most of the top 10 guys were probably, you know, doing the same exact thing he was doing. Um, he just happened to get caught. Um, and that's another thing, too, is I think bodybuilding is under a microscope um, because it's so noticeable. Like, you know, the guys on sauce, whereas, you know, there might be another athlete that's, you know, right, doing the doing running or riding a bike or, you know, some kind of other playing baseball. But you don't look at them and say, oh, man, that guy must be on the sauce just because someone might be using something doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be huge and jacked. Right. <laughs> so like the EPOs and stuff like that, you know, like you don't really know. So it's not as quite as in your face. So I think, and also too, that's a little bit more shock value when someone does get caught. Right. Oh, what a guy riding a bike is using, you know, anabolics. <laughs> I think it's a little bit more like, Oh, I didn't realize that. So it is almost um, makes people feel like ignorant, like, so it's almost like they were, they're, uh, you know, put, um, it's almost embarrassing for them because they were like rooting for the guy, but they had no idea, you know what I mean? Whereas bodybuilding, it's like, I mean, most people should know, you know, if a guy's 250 pounds at 8% body fat, they're probably on something, <laughs> you know? So, but I never really felt like I was a cheater now. Yeah. It's funny because you you bring up cycling and that's one of the sports. And if anyone's ever watched uh, the documentary Icarus, it's a crazy documentary uh, about that. But it's like, yeah, I I actually have a friend that's quite a competitive cyclist, and he's like, cycling is the worst sport for doping. Like everyone, yeah. even like even at the amateur level, I guess like a lot of guys are doing it just to like get the gains, and and they're not muscular gains; they're just endurance gains to ride their bike faster and and, and win a race. Um, so it goes for that same with baseball. And I think people think that steroids just make your muscles bigger when really there's a whole host of different drugs out there that have different interactions and effects. So even in like Olympic weightlifting, uh, it's not going to be in the next Olympics apparently because of all the doping issues we've had. But a lot of the guys that are getting popped for it look like they've never even been in the gym before. They're these big burly guys that just you know, they're big, but they're not muscular. A lot of them are fat and overweight too. And they're, but they're clean and jerking, uh, you know, almost 600 pounds or over that sometimes. So it's just this misunderstanding for sure of, of what it is and what it does and, and what you're trying to do with it. So I think people definitely need to keep that in mind and just realize, you know, in the bodybuilding world, even, uh, I remember playing football in high school and kids were 16, 17, 18, find out are taking pro hormones from uh, the local nutrition shop. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think there's a lot more people in the world. So if you're someone out there that's looking to get into bodybuilding or be more fit or whatever, and you look around like, how is this guy so jacked? It's like, what are the chances he's on something? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there is the, the certainty that some people do have good genetics. They're dedicated and they just have a good physique and they can maintain that through their forties and fifties even. But then there's other people like even myself, like I don't have great genetics. I eat 
clean 90% of the week. And even on the weekends, like, yeah, I'll go out to a restaurant and have dinner with my girlfriend and we'll have a drink or two, but I don't go crazy. And it's like, I don't have this warrior body. And I used to lift and bodybuild for like two hours a day when I was in college. And yeah, I got lean. I got down to like 15% body fat or whatever, but like, I just didn't have the muscle mass or the figure to be, to be that genetic freak that has that foundation to be like a real bodybuilder. I think well, it's actually, what I was just going to say, that's actually funny you say that. Cause it made me think sometimes some guy, sometimes people see the biggest, uh, most best bodybuilder and they think they're on the most stuff, which isn't the case. Honestly, sometimes the guys at the amateur level, cause they don't have the best genetics, they're almost compensating and using more cause they're chasing, you know what I mean? Whereas the guy who has amazing genetics might also have an amazing response uh, to anabolics, you know what I'm saying? So sometimes I think sometimes people see that and they say, well, that guy's the biggest, most jacked guy. He must be on the most stuff, which isn't necessarily the case. Cause you got the guys with subpar genetics, but they're sort of have that delusion. Like I talked about. So they're almost chasing like more, 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 more to catch up to those guys that are ahead of them. And I, I bet you that's the same case in other sports where they use anabolics at the amateur level. Like you said, with the cycling, you know, they're trying to chase, but there isn't, even though bodybuilding, I think there's a little more genetic component. There's also genetic component in other sports too, where naturally someone is just going to be naturally gifted. So you got these guys that are sort of in the middle of the pack, you know, trying to, trying to catch, you know, so. Well, uh, yeah. And, and that's something too, where, uh, I think Dr. Mike Israel brings this up a lot. Uh, and I think he put out a blog or something about this recently, but he was talking about how, and I've kind of seen this too, at all different sports. I've played a lot of sports and been in a lot of different levels of sport and coach through, you know, powerlifting, weightlifting at, at various levels from newbie to the, the pro level. And you start to see these guys that are getting to the spot where they're doing pretty well. They're making gains. They start to plateau and they're kind of at the top of where they're going to be and they'll stay there for a year or two. And then all of a sudden you start to see them like peak again. It's like, okay, what's going on here? And then, you, you know, sometimes they get popped later on. It's like, I think a lot of people will get to this point where it's like, well, I'm not seeing this anymore. So-and-so is beating me. I got to mm. chase them. What am I going to do? Mm. What's the answer? Well, the the easier way sometimes can be like, well, let's hop on something to, yeah. uh, to get me there. And then they get up a level. And then, and then you get into this next division. It's like, well, now I'm at the bottom of this division. Now I got to get yeah. to the next spot. And it's this, this like addictive behavior of just like, of back to that like inferiority of, not being where you want to be and not maybe feeling good enough about it and can just be this downward spiral for people where it's just like, if we just, you know, we're okay with where we were yeah. uh, because it's, it's just a sport. Like there's more to life than just this. Sometimes depending on the person um, there's a whole lot more you can get with just doing things, maybe the natural way, but maybe that's not for everyone. Uh, the other interesting shift too, I had, so I always, when I was like doing bodybuilding and I was younger, I was, you know, in my early twenties or so, uh, or late teens, early twenties, it was like, you know, it was always looking in the mirror. It's like my abs there, my abs there every time you go to the bathroom. And then, and it's like, I was never happy with the way my physique was. I always wanted something different. I always wanted to be leaner. I always wanted bigger. Like my delts were flat, whatever. And then, uh, I got into weightlifting and I had this really big shift when I started talking to a couple of really educated coaches and I was like, yeah, I, I want to cut down a weight class. They're like, no, like you're a 94 kilo lifter. It's like, what? It's like, that's, that's where your genetics have you. Like that, that's your frame. That's your builds. That's what you're going to be. And you look at everyone. It's like, yeah, this guy isn't doing well because he's trying to be too light for his weight class. Like he should mm -hmm. be up a weight class. Or this person, like maybe they should cut down based on their levers and everything else or how much body mass they could potentially build. But it really, weightlifting and powerlifting too is the same in that regard. Just shows you like, oh, there's there's a place for me here and like this is where I belong. Versus in yeah. bodybuilding, I don't feel like there's as much of that. As I need to nah. be bigger, leaner, more muscular, more definition. I need better conditioning. My posing sucks, whatever we're in weightlifting. It was just like, all right, let's just put more weight on the bar. Yeah. And, and when I switched to that, for me, that was a very healthy place.
for me to go because it took the stress off of the physique. Although you can still get and work towards that if you really want to. It depends how far down the weightlifting spectrum you want to go. But I could still be healthy, lift weights, gain muscle, gain mass. And if I just stayed regular with my diet, I could maintain a decent physique for the most part. But it was like just that sense of, no, this is where you belong. Like this is your body type. And yeah. you, when you talk to three coaches, they're like, oh, I'm like, nope, you're a 94 kilo lifter. It was just a yeah. very different mind shift away from kind of what I've seen with bodybuilders and in the sport of bodybuilding. Would you say there's, because I've never powerlifted or been in that realm, but would you say there's like less of a chase or less of that addictive, like almost like, I feel like you're almost in your own lane more in like powerlifting and like it almost teaches you more patience. Whereas like bodybuilding, I don't think it's very hard to be patient. Uh, as far as body weight and body image goes, yes. It's like I'm supposed to be here and there's very much less stress. The only time you really get get stressed is if you have someone that needs to make weight. It's like they've signed up for a certain meet or they've already qualified in a weight class you know, last year and then their body weight starts going up, which most athletes – do want to train a few pounds over their weight class because just mass moves mass. So your training volume can be a little bit higher through the year or whatever. And then you just cut down and do a water cut. So there's that. So the only time it gets stressful is like when you do have to cut for a meat. And sometimes you do see people like with disordered eating and things still struggle with doing that because they don't want to go back down that route. And it's like people have found like they're happier and, and mentally healthier because they haven't been having to worry about the scale and the look so much yeah. and they can just maintain like a, a legitimate healthy lifestyle of like, you know, biologically, mentally, socially, physically, whatever. It's much easier for them to maintain that lifestyle because there mm -hmm. isn't a, you need to look a certain way. It's, I need to be in this weight class. However, now this just goes to the performance side of, we see this, you know, the Olympic weightlifting just got banned from the Olympics because of all the doping. And it's like, so there's guys at all levels. I think even at the yeah. at the younger level now of even like the intermediate and even novice stage of people are starting to just, you know, guys are getting stronger and stronger. And these numbers kids are pulling up now, like would never have been hit 20 years ago. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, well now I got to be there too, because doing right. it naturally just like ain't cutting it anymore. Yeah. So yeah, people are getting into anabolic substances in these sports, not for the physique or aesthetic gains but more for the just you know uh the whole strength factor that it can give you depending yeah. on what you're taking well i think social media right it's definitely you know you see it, i think it's a good and bad thing like also for powerlifting purposes because i feel like without social media maybe there wouldn't be some numbers being hit that maybe people weren't hitting you know back in the day because it's more exposure right like and also too it's can be disheartening because you got guys like I don't know, maybe he does have like a very structured life, but like Larry Wheels, I always think of like a guy that just like grips it and rips it almost, you know what I mean? Like, is there much programming involved, you know, like, cause you look at his list and you're just like, man, you just are a freak and you're just like, not even, you know what I mean? Like where some guys are way more precise in the programming, like periodization, like taking it easy to get to the next, you know, like higher level, like they have everything planned out and mapped where I feel like he's just sort of like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about Larry, but he does seem like a bro lifter in the gym for sure. Uh, so yeah, powerlifting is much more calculated too. It's like, this is the work I have to do today. This is what coach had to do. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. And like, you put that down in there. There really isn't, I wish bodybuilders saw more of this too from powerlifting is that how much programming and volume and everything matters for recovery and Although the goals are different and we're programming for different outcomes, the same principles still apply where in powerlifting, a lot of people come over to powerlifting or weightlifting from bodybuilding, right? And everyone in bodybuilding is a volume junkie. It's like, I need to do 16 sets of this yeah. for 10 reps or 24 sets of chest today. And it's like, no, no, you don't. Uh, if you want to perform because – you know, in bodybuilding, yeah, I guess in a sense you want to make yourself tired and break your body down so it builds back bigger. Where in weightlifting and powerlifting, you know, I'm at the point now, I don't want to be tired. Yeah. I don't want to make myself too tired today because when I come back to train tomorrow, I'm going to have a shitty lift. And we just don't right. want that. So 
there is very much a difference. And then it takes a lot of people a while to be like, let's just go down to four days a week. And even like, you know, day three is going to be super light and, and they might not feel like they did anything. And then like they come in for their Saturday workout when their Thursday was like a light one. Like, holy shit. Like I felt so strong today. It's like, yeah, yeah, you did. Cause you weren't tired and right. you were a better athlete because of it. Where I see a lot of people in the bodybuilding worlds come to me with rehab issues. And it's like, it's like, what are you doing for a program? It's like, oh, I do stuff. It's like, well, I do chest this day, back this day, chest again, this day, shoulders. I'm like, okay. Well, like, how many sets are you doing? It's like, oh, I'll do a couple sets of this, a couple sets of that. All right. Like percentage range, RPE, anything? It's like, no. <laughs> and it's like, we got to get a control of that because if we just keep lifting till failure too all the time, right? like we're not actually making ourselves better and we end up with all these like shoulder issues or whatever. It's like, great. Now you have, you know, pretty intense biceps tendonitis and you can't do anything, but you're going to keep yeah. trying and you're going to have these shitty gains of trying to maintain your chest. When if we just <clears> like, could take a couple weeks off, you know, your pecs aren't going to die. We have BFR here, which actually grows muscle and we can do a lot with that in a short amount of time. You'll be fine. But people just in the bodybuilding world don't want to, yeah. don't want to see that and they don't understand it. And it's not until they get to like powerlifting, weightlifting, where it's like performance is your indicator of success where that really becomes a thing. So I just wish that's something that like a lot more bodybuilders would see is that like yeah. programming does matter. And that it's not all about just like push it till failure every time. Cause that's when that's I like said, Oh, that's why I said patience. Like, I feel like you guys have a lot of patience in your world because of the programming. It's like, you have to. So it's like, okay, you can not be patient and go hit a wall and just not move and do anything. You know what I mean? Or yeah. you can follow the program. And like you said, like I'm a big component of like, I'd rather have someone be consistent throughout the whole year at 85% than go a hundred percent for two months. Right. And then the next two or three Crash. months be 60%, 50%. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so there is that level of patience there where people want, want gains. And it's like, what I give people volume, like for bodybuilders, like they love, you know, four sets of 10 or 12 or whatever. They're like, great. I give my weightlifters and powerlifters three sets of 10 after a meet. And it's like, all right, we got to recondition now and put some muscle mass back on. They fucking hate me because now it's like, you know, then they'll have like one heavy, heavy session a week. They go, oh my God, my squat's down. Like what happens? Like something's wrong. It's like, no, you're just in a high volume phase. So your nervous system is more tired. Yeah. It's not going to push weight. And then, you know, give it two weeks. We'll go back into a strength block. There's less volume, more intensity. And it's like, oh my yeah. God, I PR'd by bench press. It's like, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so everyone still has anxiety about it. It's yeah. just, um, you know, uh, what is it about? I guess. And I yeah, think yeah. from from a mental health standpoint, especially uh, I think powerlifting and weightlifting might just be a better outlook for some people or yeah. a lens that people need to think through uh, or think about a little bit more. So okay. yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, it's been good talking to you. I do have to wrap up here in a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, we, we could probably have you on again and go yeah. through a bunch of different things, but uh, as a closer here, if you wanted people to commit to bodybuilding or, or if people want to commit to bodybuilding, what are three major things you wished you learned earlier in your career? Uh, well, one I always think of is don't emulate the pros. So just because you see a pro doing it doesn't mean you should be doing it. So I think a lot of content is out there with the social media, the YouTube, et cetera. So a lot of people, what they do is their first thing is go flip on to their favorite bodybuilder, you know? and say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Well, that bodybuilder didn't do that same exact thing the first 10 years of their career. So like a lot of bodybuilders that, and later in their years, they don't deadlift anymore. They might not free bar squat anymore, but anyone that comes to me, I always preach first five years, you know, per- perfect the squat, perfect the deadlift, you know, the bench, a lot kind of stuff, basic barbell, you know, dumbbell movements, uh, free weights, obviously for like stabilization, hitting secondary muscle groups, and then, you know, down the road, you know, cause you're hitting like stabilization muscles and that kind of stuff. Whereas down the road, then you can get a little bit more into the, the machines and the isolations and all that kind of stuff. Um, so sometimes you turn on your favorite YouTube channel and, you know, you follow along, but that person might not be telling you what they did to get to where they're at in that moment. So that's one of them. And then, I mean, it's, 
it's so easy to say, but it's hard to practice. But the patience piece is just huge. Um, because like we were saying, sometimes if you're patient, you're going to get to your goal quicker, you know, so people don't realize that. So like I just said, if someone's at 85% for the whole year and they're consistent, you know, not missing a beat, but they're at 85%, they're going to get far more quick, far, they're getting to their goal much quicker than, like I said, being at a hundred percent and going balls to the wall for like two months. And then, you know, either hurting themselves, burning themselves out mentally, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so I, I, I look at it as a longevity piece, a patience piece and, um, sustaining yourself, um, at a good pace, you know? So like you said, a lot of kids will come to you probably, or younger kids, I'm sure you get this. They train seven days a week, six days a week, you know, they're doing, you know, 30 sets for back or whatever, (laughs) you know? So that's usually my, my big pieces that I learned too, is as the bigger I got, the better I got more wiser is, you know, less volume, uh, sometimes less is better. Right. So, a lot of people get into this and they think that's why they hire someone like me is sometimes not necessarily that they don't know stuff is because they need someone to say, okay, you need to like stop pushing so hard and we're going to pull you back. Or you have the other side of the spectrum where someone needs to be pushed. Right. Um, so, you know, sometimes people need to learn, you know, for me, one of my best, um, attributes that have gotten me so far in bodybuilding, I think is knowing when to, okay, I can take a week off and I'll be fine. I'll probably get better, you know? So, you know, little stuff like that, whereas, you know, younger people would be like, well, take a day off from the gym. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to lose my gains, you know, like that whole thing. Um, So obviously that comes with trial and error and time. Sure. But if I can tell someone, you know, to sort of try to tap into that kind of stuff a little earlier on, it'll probably save them some headaches and also probably get them to their goals a little quicker, Uh, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I'll just add the one thing I wish bodybuilders uh, learned earlier too is just master the fundamentals. I see a lot of people that are very good power lifters or, or not power lifters, bodybuilders that come to me in, in a whole lot of pain and, and we'll just start looking at their technique and their form. It's like, it's like, dude, <laughs> no wonder. All right. We gotta, we gotta reset here. And I think so much, bodybuilders too you know sometimes it's focusing on the squeeze and the pump or whatever but you guys go to squat and even bench press and stuff and it's like oh man like if we just did this differently for you know years before this would be a lot easier to reverse like and and there's a lot too if people get into it with their buddies right it's like all right yeah Yeah. we're gonna squat today it's like okay cool it's like, you know, you do it and you're like, oh, how am I doing? It's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're doing great. Keep going. Let's put more weight on the bar. Yeah. It's like hire a coach. Um, and this is where I say bodybuilders should really look at hiring like a really good either like Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting coach to nail the, the technique of the squat and the deadlift mm-hmm. because there's way too many injuries that come up from just bad habits that someone learned because they weren't taught the right way the first couple times. And then it's just like, there's so much more you'll get and you'll be so much more of a resilient athlete in bodybuilding. If you just have your joints in the right position, because too many of you guys are like chest up, ass out. You're, you're just, you know, grinding your hips away with the butt wink and everything else, which sometimes is okay. But when like, that's all we know, it becomes a big problem later on. It's really hard to correct once we get to a certain level of, well, now we're squatting all this weight. Now we have to keep this weight on the bar. We try to change the technique and it just becomes hard. So I would say master the fundamentals first of, you know, don't be afraid to squat a kettlebell for a while yeah. and learn positioning and, and get hit full hip mobility. Um, but I want to have you back. Actually, we could talk a lot about programming and yeah. I want to talk about theory and physiology and things like that. Yeah. Cause I I'd think there's down. a lot of, there's I love talking of, training too. So, yeah, I, I want to talk more about like the training side of it, and we can have some uh, heated discussion on on differences yeah. in, in training and in health there. So, uh, again, uh, thanks, Nate. And where can people find you? So, mostly on Instagram at, at Nate Spear, and then also my email is nathanspear25 at live.com. Anyone wants to reach out for coaching and that kind of stuff, and or if they have just have any questions, uh, shoot me a message, sure. Yeah, so you actually you're part of a new gym that's actually not far from my gym. So uh, we're in, so it's in Tingsboro, correct? Yep. So it's called Reality Training. 
um, which is uh, like right off the Tingsboro exit. And we're like, I want to say two miles down the road from you. So yeah, it works out good. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to come by sometime and we can get a workout in. But oh, um, always, always down. Yeah. So uh, um, yeah, Nate, Nate is in Tingsboro, Mass. And uh, he's doing some training. He's got a couple athletes that we work with now too. And uh, we have a good time working together. So if you are looking for a bodybuilding coach, um, Nate's a great guy and I've heard nothing but good things about him from his athletes as well, that really like his coaching style, his personality and his personal, uh, his personability. Yeah, <laughs> He's very personable, uh, is what I'm looking for. So, um, Nate's a great guy. And, uh, again, thanks for coming on and we'll be sure to have you back in the future. So thanks man. Uh, for everyone else, uh, we got some more big news coming out next week, uh, about some, new PTs, maybe a new location and uh, a couple other things. So stay tuned for that. And we hope to catch you all next time. Thanks.